Sometimes there's principles that you deeply believe in or things that you've experienced that you don't have to talk about in this super timid and shy way and pose in the form of a question. Sometimes there's things that you just know are true that we don't need to go through this maze of wandering questions where you're trying to get someone to arrive at the same answer as you are. Sometimes you just need to say what is true. Sometimes you need to be assertive. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Jett. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, you're stepping into the middle of a series that has just been so fun, and it's been so cool to see how so many of the leaders that we work with as part of the Path for Growth community or as part of the Worth It Wednesday community uh, have been kind of communicating to us about how they've taken the tactics, practices, and principles from this series titled Great Leaders or Great Coaches, and they're using them in their workplace and in their community and even in their homes. And so at the outset of this series, many of you probably know, or you can go back and listen, we said that great leaders are great coaches. And we said that at their fundamental core, what do great leaders do? Well, they unleash the best in others. And most leaders understand that in that pursuit to unleash the best that is inside the others around them, they're going to have to wear a wide variety of hats, vision caster, manager, CEO, facilitator, mediator. There's so many different roles that a leader can possibly play. But the argument that I would submit to you is that oftentimes one of the most transformative roles that you can play in your leadership of others, in your pursuit of unleashing the best in others, is to play the role of coach. And it's been so cool to walk through this content of what it means to be an effective coach and how to practice qualities of effective coaching, because this is truly what we do as an organization. Now, I'm not talking about coach the way some people in our industry talk about coach, where you're a professional advice giver and you have all the answers and everyone comes to spend time at your feet while you bestow upon them your greatness. Ah, gosh, drives me freaking crazy. No, I'm talking about the type of person who is committed to providing the perspective, the accountability, and the direction necessary to help someone step into who they were created to be. That's what a coach does. And so that's what we do as an organization. That is baked into our business model. And so as a result, we are constantly looking for ways to create training material to develop the coaches on our team, both that have already been hired and that we're going to be hiring, because Coaching, training, and development is a huge part of us growing and refining the value of this business. But one of the things that is so cool is while we're training our team on that internally, we realize, well, man, this content just as equally applies to the leaders we work with externally. And so we've been walking through these five qualities of effective coaching that kind of frame how I think about my coaching conversations, how we teach our team members to think about their coaching conversations, how we evaluate our performance. Truly, anytime we have a coaching call at Path for Growth, if I finish one of my monthly coaching calls with someone, I get a form right after and I read yellow green these five qualities because it's so, so, so crucial for us to understand how are we practicing the principles that we talk about. That's that's 
part of our core value of alignment, right? We we always say we do not just give this message, we live this message. So I don't like talking on this podcast about things that we're not actually doing. That's a novel idea. So what we're talking about here is truly things that we are practicing. It's things that we've really learned and believe are the most effective qualities to focus on in order to practice coaching conversations in a manner that unleashes the best in others. And so we've walked through a couple already, but I'm going to give you the five high level real quick. Relational, curious, assertive, that's the one we're focused on today, directional, and principle-based. And so we covered relational, and in relational, we said people don't care what you know until you show that you care. And the good thing is, is that the best way to do that is to actually care. <laughs> but then we talked about some of the tactics and practices to build relationships with people that you're coaching. And then we walked into curious because we said that good leaders give answers to people. Great leaders extract answers from people. And so the quality of your results always reflects the quality of your questions. And that was a really tactical episode. So I I would challenge you, if you haven't gone back and listened to that one yet, that would be really good because that one pairs really well with the one that we're going to walk into today. Because today, we're walking into the quality of assertiveness. Now, I will tell you, this is a quality that may be distinct for Path for Growth Coaching. And I believe it's a quality that sets us apart and kind of makes us stylistically a little bit different than a lot of what our industry talks about and thinks about with regard to effective coaching. Because I I have just seen so many times how coaching conversations or these types of conversations where business leaders are coming to get together to focus on where they're taking their business and where they're taking them, their leadership and where they're taking themselves, they can turn into like this kumbaya circle, right? And it just, it, it doesn't feel like it has any bite to it. And, it. and it feels like it's kind of slow moving. And it's just like, I, 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 of course, believe in the value of questions, right? And and that's why curious is one of these five qualities. But it becomes so many questions that sometimes it's like, just have a statement. And that's at the core of what we're talking about today because I really believe that there are times when the best way for you to serve someone is not through your questions, but rather through your statements, Now, this should take us for a little bit of a loop because we just spent an entire episode and it was a long episode talking about how your role as a coach is to bring the answers out of people and and to get them to talk openly and transparently and to verbally process about the things that are already inside of them. And we talked about how Socrates said that learning is remembering. And that means that we don't need information that's outside of us. Rather, sometimes we need to draw on the information that is inside of us. And I think that that's true. True, but I'll tell you, I personally don't always have patience for that. <laughs> Can you relate to this? I mean, sometimes I'm like sitting down, and, and if I'm in kind of one of these conversations with either my counselor or my coach, sometimes I'm like, okay, we can do without all the questions because I know you've got something you want to tell me right now. And there's times also where I'm sitting with a customer where I truly have this belief that there's sometimes where they don't need to, me to ask question after question after question after question. Sometimes they're just like, tell me what you think is true. And for me, 
I really believe that I'm in relationship with my coach and my counselor and my mentors because sometimes they need to just deliver me truth. And truth often comes in the form of a bold and confident statement. And that's what assertiveness is, right? Assertiveness is disposed to or characterized by bold or confident statements and behavior. And so sometimes there's things that you just know are true. Sometimes there's principles that you deeply believe in or things that you've experienced that you don't have to talk about in this super timid and shy way and pose in the form of a question. Sometimes there's things that you just know are true that we don't need to go through this maze of wandering questions where you're trying to get someone to arrive at the same answer as you are. Sometimes you just need to say what is true. Sometimes you need to be assertive. So then the question becomes, okay, well, when is that? Because we said that you need to be curious. And if you over-index on being curious, then I think the conversation becomes outrageously inefficient and unproductive. Because there's times where it's like people don't need you to ask them a question. They, They need you to make a statement. And there's times where if someone is wandering down a path that like mentally or in reality, literally, they don't need you to ask a bunch of questions about that path. Sometimes they just need to tell you, you're going the wrong way. And I need people to tell me that sometimes. But then there's other times where we can absolutely over-index on assertiveness. And although it may feel efficient, it's not actually effective at all because all we do is turn people off or they don't have the opportunity and the ability to learn on their own. And that's how so often a leader can become a bottleneck of an organization is if they over-index on the quality that we're talking about today. And so what I want you to know as we walk into the content associated with this episode is that there's a fine line between assertions that are healthy and helpful and productive and assertions that are unhealthy, unhelpful, and destructive. Now, think about that breakdown a little bit. Assertions that are healthy, helpful, and productive. They're healthy. That means they maintain the relationship. It means they don't damage the relationship, right? They're helpful. They actually help the individual that you're working with in a coaching context move forward and and you're actually helping them take action. You're not just impressing them with how smart you are because you have all the answers and they're productive, meaning they produce a desired result. But you know just as well as I do that there can be times where you can make bold and confident statements, where you can make assertions that are in no way healthy, helpful, or productive. And so then the question that any wise person would be asking would be, okay, well, how do you know? How do you know when it's the right time to ask a question versus when it's the right time to make an assertion? And what I will tell you is there's time, there truly are times where the most powerful thing you can do is ask a really pointed question that makes a person go inside themselves and think. But then I will also tell you that some of the most powerful, most transformative conversations I've ever had have been when mentors or coaches or counselors of mine have made a statement in an assertive manner. And there have been times where literally a single assertion has changed my life. And so how do you know? And I sat down to write this content because it's something that I deeply care about and and spent some time really thinking about this. And at first I started writing this outline around, okay, how do you know? And what's the difference between the two? 
Um, although we will get into some of that, I, I don't think I can actually give that to you because I, I think the answer is to how do you know, how do you know when to be assertive and how do you know when to be curious and how do you know when to leverage which tool or tactic or practice or principle relies on one thing, your discernment as a leader. And that's something that feels like a little bit less of a practical term, but it's something that I would challenge all of you that if you were to grow in it, it would dramatically expand your capacity, your impact, and your effectiveness as a leader and certainly as a coach. We're talking about discernment. And I would tell you that discernment is directly related to wisdom. Because wisdom is not just knowing what is good and what is bad. Wisdom is knowing how to operate in the circumstances that you are in. Wisdom is knowing which principles to draw on at any given time. Wisdom is the exercise of techniques for proper living. And those two things, wisdom and discernment, are going to be at the core of what you need to know when are the times when you need to be assertive and when are the times when you need to be curious. And how do you manage the flow of a conversation? And how do you engage with someone? And how do you read with someone? How do you best serve someone in a given situation? I can't give you step-by-step process for that. And although it's not very practical, it can be the challenge that I give to you that could literally transform all of your leadership is grow in wisdom, grow in discernment. Well, then you start to ask, okay, well, how do we do that? Well, I would always look to the Bible as the playbook for how to do that. What does it say? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's Proverbs 1.7. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, it's important to understand in that verse that fear is not uh, is not terror. Fear in that verse references awe and reverence and respect. Okay, whether you believe what we do or not, just think about the concept here. Deep-seated awe and reverence and respect of God is the beginning of wisdom. Well, what is God? Well, from my belief, God is the author and the creator. He is the one that made and makes the world as it is, right? And he is the one that is sovereignly in control. He's omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. So think about this verse for a second. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Deep-seated all reverence and respect for the one who knows it all, controls it all, and sees it all is the beginning of wisdom. And that's a pretty powerful thought because if I have deep-seated reverence and respect for God, well, then what am I asking? I'm asking, where is God? What does God have to say about this situation? And if we start asking that question and if we start saying, okay, I'm constantly looking for where God is and where the moral laws and principles of the universe are at play in the situation and in the world and in the circumstances that I'm in right now, if I'm constantly asking that question and thinking at that higher level, not just of how do I feel in this moment or what do I want to say in this moment or what is my ego saying at this moment, but rather where is God at this moment, you know what you become when you start asking that question of where is God in this moment? Well, you start to become a person that is incredibly wise because the minute you start asking that question and become detached enough, what you gain is a level of awareness that most people don't have. That's because most people are walking around asleep, 
right? They're not paying attention. And this is why every time we talk about that idea of paying attention on this podcast, I get so passionate because you need to pay attention. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you some of your mental focus to to constantly be looking around you and asking the question, okay, where is God in this meeting? Where is God in this conversation? Where is God with regard to the plans that we're creating right now? And, And here's the deal. You do not have to believe in the same God that I do, but just think about this. Where is the highest possible ideal with regard to what we're talking about right now? Because God is the highest and greatest possible ideal. So hopefully we can agree on that, right? Like what is what is required of me as a leader right now? That's a pretty powerful question to ask. And the minute you start asking that question, you know what's crazy? You start to find answers. But oftentimes, if you don't ask the question, you don't get the answers. And you walk around unaware and you walk around asleep. And this is a little bit esoteric and it's a little bit deep, right? But I think it's really important. It's not just existential. It's incredibly practical because then the Bible goes on to say, if you want wisdom, get wisdom. And I love that because it means that wisdom and discernment, this this practiced ability to live right in the world and to apply yourself to what's the correct thing to do in given situations and to bring in a variety of principles and best practices and and laws and teaching and, and bring them into your individual experience, it means that the ability to do that and not only to do that, but to grow in that, it is available and accessible. If you want wisdom, get wisdom. And so I would tell all of us, like, this is the prayer that I pray every single day is I pray for wisdom. Because if we can grow in wisdom, man, there is no limit to what we can do. And there is no limit to the impact that we can make on others. Okay, so how do you grow in wisdom? Well, the first thing you got to start doing is you got to start asking for it. You got to start saying, okay, how can I become more wise today? Can I become more what God? Will you give me more wisdom today? But but here's the other thing you need to understand. I, I had a mentor once that he used to say, Alex, eventually you got to put some feet to your prayers. <laughs> That's pretty good because it means that if I'm praying for wisdom, but not regularly acting in accordance with what I know is wise, then I don't actually want wisdom. Belief is not just expressed in what we say, our beliefs are reflected in how we act. And so if we're going to become someone that is wise and discerning at when to be curious and when to be assertive and how to manage the flow of a conversation, well, then we need to be constantly seeking and applying wisdom. And it's in that context that the way I want to approach this topic of assertiveness is not by telling you when exactly to be assertive or the exact steps for being assertive. But what I want to tell you is some principles about what healthy assertions look like. Because one of the things that has been valuable for me is to recognize that, man, there is a pattern between the times when I make assertions that are healthy and helpful and productive and the times when I don't. And one of the things that I believe is that if there's a pattern, there's a principle. And so what I would like to talk about specifically is four characteristics of healthy assertions that we all need to understand in order to properly discern when to be bold and confident in the statements that we make. And so we're gonna walk through four of them and I'm gonna give them to you high level first. 
The first one is healthy assertions are rare. The second one is healthy assertions are trustworthy. The third one is healthy assertions are humble. And the fourth one is healthy assertions are principle-based. So let's start with healthy assertions are rare. Um, whenever we teach communication uh, in one of our healthy communication team trainings that we do with organizations around the country, one of the things that I always try to hit home at the beginning of our first lesson is there is an economy to your words. And the same principle applies to what we're talking about right now. There is an economy to your assertions. And I will tell you right now, especially in leadership, inflation is rampant. Right. Well, what is inflation? Well, go check gas prices, and I mean, yeah, what's inflation? I I go to Chipotle now, and it costs me nine dollars instead of seven fifty. That's what inflation is, right? And it's happening right now. And we should pay attention because what is happening? Well, the dollar is becoming less valuable, so things are costing more dollars because there's more of it available because for the past, uh, gosh, year and a half or so, we've been printing money. Isn't that funny how that works? That when you print money, it becomes less valuable. Fascinating idea. <laughs> okay, that is a little bit of a tangent, but it might be one worth making because it applies to this as well. When we make assertions haphazardly, when we just print our assertions, when we give assertions to people just with reckless disregard, well, what happens? They become less valuable. Right, Because if I'm constantly walking around giving bold and confident statements everywhere I go and just telling people what to do wherever I go and making belief statements wherever I go and talking about principles everywhere that I go, well, then the more that I do it, the less valuable they're going to become. Have you ever met that person that is just, uh, we would describe them as wise, they are very soft-spoken and they don't say much, and they often sit in the corner of a meeting, and they may say one thing in the meeting, but the one thing they say, people always pay attention to it. Think about that phrase again. They pay attention to it. Why do they pay attention to it? Why do they pay for it? They pay for it with their attention because it's valuable. Why is it valuable? Because it's rare. And what I want you to know is healthy assertions, if you're going to make them, are going to be rare. Now, we could think about this whole ratio of for every five questions, you can make one assertion, but that just feels kind of kitschy, and here's the deal. You're smart people. I don't like giving you a bunch of how-tos and a bunch of like things that it's like, okay, this you got to do it this way because I've got the exact checkbox list of how to do it. Like That's very marketable content, but I don't think it actually gives you the confidence and belief that I have in you because I think you can figure this out. I think you can look in people's eyes and know sometimes like, okay, I can give them a bold statement right now and they can receive it. Or man, I've been making a lot of bold statements and I'm kind of running them over like a tractor and I should probably ask some questions and actually listen. And I think, you know, I think you can see it, but there's sometimes where you just know like, man, the, the thing that this person needs right now is they need truth from me and they need me to say it deliberately and boldly. Just do that in a reserved way. But what I'm not saying is not to do it. 
there's times, and and I've talked about office hours in, uh, in one of our previous episodes where we've been working with the culture of the members in the Path for Growth community and the leaders within the Path for Growth community to ask great questions. And we've done that and it's been so good. But there's sometimes where I look at some of the leaders that are asking questions and I'm saying, dadgummit, just give them an answer because I know you've got years and years and years of experience. And sometimes it's like, man, you need to ask some questions and then you need to go for the jugular and make a bold assertion. But, but what is the motive? The motive is in the best interest of the other person. And that's what we're looking for here. And so there will be occasions, although rare, where you can make a bold and confident statement in the best interest of the other person. And that's actually the best way to serve them where your question would not serve them as well as your statement does. And I'm not just talking about in the temporary short term. I'm talking about for the long term. And that's a pretty powerful thing to remember. So the biggest thing that I want you to know from this first concept is that healthy assertions are rare. There's an economy to your assertions. Inflation is rampant. And so you need to be very selective about when and why you're using them. But when you use them, be bold and confident in the way that you do it. So healthy assertions are rare. Next, healthy assertions are trustworthy. I I felt that it would be helpful to walk through just the first three steps of the framework that we walk through in our ownership mentality team training for how to build influence because this is directly tied to this topic of trust because healthy assertions are trustworthy. And what we tell people is that businesses move at the speed of trust. Uh, I believe it was Stephen Covey that first said that. And if we're going to build trust, well, there's some pretty proven steps, right? This isn't rocket science. What is step one for building trust? Relationships. We've talked about this on this podcast before. Too often, highly driven, impact-driven leaders sacrifice relationship on the altar of results. And I will tell you, you will never go wrong by prioritizing people. And so if you want to build trust, you always have to start with relationship and you've got to make sure, okay, I know this person and this person knows me. And we spent an entire episode talking about that with regard to relational coaching. That was uh, the second episode in this series that we're in right now. Great leaders are great coaches. So you can go back and listen to that. But why does it matter that we build the relationship? Well, I think this is a great example of why poster board Christianity doesn't work. Right? Have you ever seen the person outside a football game or something like that that's holding up a sign that just says, repent now or you're all going to hell, right? Or it just says like, come to Jesus now. And they're just holding up this sign saying like, you're doing it wrong. Turn around, right? And, and have you ever seen anyone walk up to that person and be like, oh my gosh, you're so right. Thank you so much for opening my eyes. No, I've never seen it. Why? Because that strategy doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because it doesn't at all invest in the power and value of relationship, And what those posters often are is they are assertions, but you don't have the relationship to make an assertion. And so this is what I want you to hear is that correction outside the context of relationship often sounds and feels like condemnation. And so if you just walk around telling people what they should or need to be doing without first building relationship, it's going to feel like condemnation and you're no better than the poster board Christian, right? That's walking outside of the the football game saying, this is what you have to do. You should be doing this. You need to be doing this. You're not doing enough. When has that ever built trust with anyone? 
prioritize people, build the relationship, invest the time to do that. And if you're like, I don't know how to do that, well, go back and listen to the first episode on relational coaching. So we start with relationships. And the question that people are always asking with regard to relationships, whether they know it or not, is does this person care? The people that you're sitting down with for coaching conversations, if you want them to trust you, you need to understand that one of the questions that they're asking is, is do you care? And like we said in the first episode, it's not just do they know that you care, it's do you show that you care? Do you act like you care because you care? Starts with relationships. From relationships, we move to results. And this is where people are asking the question, can they do their job? And so I will tell you, if you want to be the type of person that wants to be able to make bold and confident statements and properly, in a wise way, use this quality of assertiveness in a way that can be pinpointed and poignant and powerful, well, then be really, really, really competent at your job. It's amazing how much more weight your words carry when you are exceptionally good at what you do. I I mean, there's examples of this everywhere, but just think about this. Have you ever thought about how weird it is that we publish in the news and talk about uh, in pop culture and things like that, what athletes, what stellar athletes think about politics or what incredible actors think about politics? Why do we care about that so much, right? I mean, their realm of expertise is acting. Their realm of expertise is athletics, right? Maybe it's a football player. It's like suddenly there can be a news story where it's like, oh, this football player like expressed their thoughts on the vaccine. This football player expressed their thought on uh, on the the political election coming on. Uh, This this football player expressed uh, something based on the the tragedy that occurred uh, down in the Middle East, right? Why do we care about that so much? They're a football player. They're an actor. Why do we give more weight to what they believe about the election or about the vaccine? Why do we do that? Well, it's because we trust competence. And if someone is really, really, really good at what they do, it's amazing how even in arenas that are seemingly unrelated to that thing, we trust them more. That's a pretty powerful thought. So what should we take practically from that? Be really, really good at what you do. Like become a master of your craft. Become so beyond effective at what you do. Because when you become effective at what you do, you build competence. And with competence comes confidence. Truly, sometimes people say, well, I'm, I'm just not a very confident person and I just, I want to build some confidence. The first thing I would tell them to do is choose one thing and be exceptionally, outrageously, incredibly, abnormally good at it. Because it's amazing how when you get really good at that thing, you'll become really confident, not even just in that area, but in other areas. But you know what else it wins? It wins the confidence of others. And so this is one of the things that I've recognized for myself as a coach is the more that I focus on being an exceptional leader and communicator, the more that people trust me as a coach. It's crazy. And so what are the areas that you're called to be outrageously competent and recognize that if you want to build trust, it's not enough just to be like mediocre in that area. I want you to be a master of your craft and recognize that people will follow that. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be related to your work. It's crazy. If you start putting your life together, start becoming really fit, 
Start maybe maybe doing some challenges or doing some races or setting some goals or becoming the type of person that reads every single day or becoming the type of person that um, has a really, really organized family, right? I, I work with uh, leaders all the time that their family has core values and their family has mission statements and vision statements and, and they have a weekly family meeting or a weekly family dinner or they have a weekly date night with their spouse. And you know what they gain b- because they do those things? It's not why they do those things, but they gain this because they do those things. They gain the trust of others because people look at those people and they say, man, that's pretty good. And and why is that? Well, people follow people that they admire because everyone knows you don't become what you want to become. You become what you follow. And so therefore, if a leader is disorganized, lazy, sluggish, has has a family that's a mess, doesn't have their life put together, people aren't going to follow that person because they don't want to become that person. And so get your act together, be competent in what you do, because that's part of being trustworthy and it will give you the ability to be more assertive. And then from there we have trust. And this already ties into what we've already discussed with assertiveness is the question that people are asking with relationships is, do they care? The question that they're asking with results is, can they do their job and exceptionally well? And then the question that people are asking with regard to trust is whose best interests are they operating in? And man, if you are operating in the best interest of others and you truly and consistently establish a reputation of always operating in the best interest of the people that you lead, you will gain the ability to make assertions. Why? Because those assertions will be trustworthy. There are people in my life that, man, if they make an assertion to me about what I what I should probably focus on or what I should read or what I should do, I don't really question it at all. Why? Because I trust it, because it's a healthy assertion, and because they have a reputation of being the type of person that I want to follow. And so how do you build trust? Well, great place to start is by telling people the truth in their best interest. And this highlights another principle that is really important. People don't trust what's nice. People trust what's true. And so if you are giving people either an image of yourself or an image of reality that may be nice but isn't true, if you're sugarcoating things, if you're not talking honestly about their performance, if you're not being open and transparent and authentic and real with them about yourself or about themselves or about the organization – well, then you're being nice in some ways. And nice is not sustainable. Am I, am I not saying that you can't be kind? No, of course you can be kind. And I think there's a difference between nice and being kind. But people don't trust what's nice because reality isn't always nice. What do people trust? People trust what's true. And so become a leader that is practiced at telling people the truth in a nice way. And that can be a really, really good thing. But what we don't want to sacrifice is our ability to tell the truth just so that we can be nice. And so healthy assertions, what are they? Well, they're trustworthy. Why are they trustworthy? Because they're true. And so that means that you have to do the work as a, as a leader to define, number one, what is true, and that can be work, right? That's why we advise 10 minutes of silence as a habit for leaders because sometimes you need that time to get to the bottom and think about, like, what is true? But then you got to think about, okay, how do I share that truth in their best interest? 
because that can be really, really helpful. But those are the assertions that we that we will follow, and those are the assertions that are healthy is the ones that are trustworthy. So healthy assertions are rare. Healthy assertions are trustworthy. And then healthy assertions are humble. We've said this before. My favorite definition of humility is to have an accurate view of one's self. And a humble assertion is to give an accurate view of one's self. Now think about this for a second. A lot of times, whenever you're starting to practice or work on becoming more assertive, you, you start to flex this muscle of speaking with certainty. And when you speak with certainty, that can be a really powerful thing. I heard this principle once. I think I heard Tony Robbins say it once. He said, the person with the most certainty always influences the other person. And that's a pretty mind-blowing principle. And that can be good or bad. But what I know it is, is it's true. The person with the most certainty always influences the other person. And so if you start growing in this level of assertiveness, then you will become a very influential person. Just recognize that. But but here's what I want to challenge you on. If your assertions are going to be healthy, they need to be humble. And if you're going to be humble, then they need to be accurate. And that means that you can't speak with certainty about things that are uncertain. And so what I don't want you to become is become someone that is absolutely assertive on things that may not actually be true or real or applicable to everyone. This happens so much in the space that we work in, but honestly, it's just like literally all over the motivational, personal development, leadership development, business development world right now. There's all these people that assume that their personal experience means that something is an authoritative principle. And think about this for a second. They think that, okay, because I experienced it this way and because I grew my business this way and it worked, well, then it must be an authoritative principle that applies to everyone. And, and I'll tell you, that is dangerous because that's not always true. Your experience is an experience. Your experience is not an authority. Does that mean you can't talk about your experience? Absolutely not. You can absolutely talk about your experience, but but talk about it as an experience, not as an authoritative principle that always applies to everyone all the time. So when does it become a principle? Well, we're going to talk about that more in future episodes, but I, we already said this. If there's a pattern, there's a principle. And so if you see something show up multiple times in your life, and then you see it show up in multiple different scenarios and circumstances in other people's lives, then it starts to become a principle. But what I don't want you to do is to talk out with outrageous certainty about things that you aren't certain on. Because the most miserable lifestyle you can ever create for yourself is presenting yourself as an expert on things that you're not an expert on. Because what does that do to you as a leader? Well, it makes you someone that is constantly striving to live up to the image that you painted of yourself. And so if you start to act and tell people that you are an expert that has all of this knowledge that you don't actually have, well, then you now have to live up to that and you're going to create so much cognitive dissonance and your days are going to be stressful. So what is a more healthy approach? Well, it's to be humble. It's to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. I, I experienced a little bit of this tension not long ago. It was a handful of months ago. We were teaching a future org chart workshop within the Path for Growth community, and I was walking people through the process for developing their org chart for the next three years of their organization. One of our core values is alignment, so we don't teach things that we haven't done, but literally, we had done our future org chart like two weeks before, and then we were teaching on it. And I felt this 
expectation of myself to go into that workshop being like the resident expert on future org charts. And that was really intimidating. And I started to feel all this tension and I was really stressed out. And I remember like telling Zach, who's our COO on our team, I was like, man, I don't know why I'm so stressed out about this. And he just reminded me, he said like, okay, well, don't feel like you have to present it as the expert. Why don't you just present what we've done and say that you're going to do your best to help others? And it was crazy. He said that and I could feel my shoulders drop and I could take a deep breath. And I was like, that's good because what is that? That's alignment. I'm not presenting an image that isn't actually real. I'm presenting an image that is actually trustworthy. And I'm presenting an image that's accurate. And because it's an image that's accurate, it's humble. And so what did it look like? Well, in the workshop, I literally told people, I, I walked in there and we started the workshop and I said, I'll be honest with y'all, this, this workshop is the one that has intimidated me the most in preparing for it. And the reason why it's intimidated me is because I'm certainly no expert on this. I'm just someone that has done this for our organization alongside our leaders. But it was so helpful that I really wanted to share it with y'all and share with you what we learned. And I mean, we are very much like creating this alongside you. We are not these people that have this all figured out. And man, that was so good. But what's so cool is I've spent more time with future org charts now, like a lot of time, right? And I've helped a lot of people with future org charts. And I've spent a lot of time working with Zach and our leaders on our future org charts. And, and so now I can talk way more assertively about future org charts because I have more experience with it, but I couldn't do that then. And what would have been a mistake is to present myself as an expert on something that I wasn't an expert on and start making assertions as an expert. I can still make assertions as an amateur is just way more assertions about my experience instead of assertions about authoritative principles. Because if you haven't taken the time to define the transcendent principles, well, then you better be careful about making bold assertions about things that are always true. And so when you're working with people in a coaching context, make sure that the assertions that you're making are things that are true and that are accurate at their core. And sometimes that means you need to humble yourself a little bit to not present yourself as an expert, but just say, hey, here's the deal. This has been my experience. I'm not positive this applies to everyone, but here's what I believe is true. Here's what I have seen to be true. That can be really, really, really helpful for people. And it can be really, really disarming for them too because they start to see you not as a superhero. They start to see you as someone that's like, oh, you're figuring this out as you go too? That's such a powerful realization for people and they don't always understand that unless you give them access to the fact that you are figuring it out. And so healthy assertions are humble. And the takeaway from that is that you don't want to speak with certainty about things that you're not certain on. But you can be uncertain about things and still be assertive. Just present it in the proper way and present it in an accurate way. Okay, so healthy assertions are rare. Healthy assertions are trustworthy. Healthy assertions are humble. And then finally, healthy assertions are principle-based. And we've kind of already hit on this, and we're going to hit on it even more in the final episode in this series because one of the things that we believe is effective coaching is principle-based. That's the fifth quality. But here's what I want you to know. I just have this belief that if you want to make someone's day better, help them solve a problem. If you want to make someone's life better, help them learn a principle. 
And so one of the best things that you can do as a coach of someone else is to extract principles out from everyday experiences and speak about them assertively. Now, we've got to do this with discernment, and we've got to do this in a humble way, but we should be doing this. And and as a leader, you will grow so much in your ability to influence people and positively unleash the best in others if you can become practiced at discerning what are the principles behind the patterns that you're observing. And so healthy assertions are principle-based. Here's where I learned how this applies to assertiveness. Whenever I was working at Ramsey Solutions, I got to interview Dave Ramsey two times. And that was really, really cool because thats he's just a leader that I really, really deeply uh, respect. And he's someone that is just a brilliant communicator as well. And I was really, really looking forward to it. I was also really nervous about it. I think his interview, uh, his first interview that we did was the first full-on interview that I ever did for the Entree Leadership Podcast, if I remember correctly. And I was like, oh my gosh, like not only am I interviewing this guy that's superstar leader, communicator, he's also like my boss's 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 boss, right? And it's like, oh gosh, like get kind of nervous about that, right? Because it's like, man, there's a lot on the line here. The stakes are pretty high. And I just remember mentally prepping myself like, okay, Dave is a pretty massive personality. He's a pretty bombastic personality. He's pretty aggressive in the way he talks about things. And I remember like just saying, be ready about this. Make sure that you're prepared for this because- Um, He's going to be pretty assertive. He's pretty confident. He's pretty bold. And then I walked into the interview and, and what's so interesting is he wasn't that at all. He was so meek and he was so calm. And if you literally go back and listen to this episode, he didn't really raise his voice hardly at all, right? Which compared to the times I'd heard him on the radio, I was like, oh my goodness, like this doesn't feel like the same Dave. And and he just, you know, very laid back. And I, I even remember looking at him at one point, he was just leaning back in his chair and talking very calm. And at first I thought it was like, okay, well, maybe it's just a, a different mood today or something like that. Or maybe it's something with me as an interviewer, but I wasn't sure what happened there. And then the second interview was, I, gosh, probably almost a year later. And uh, I started preparing myself for it. And I, and I almost prepared for it the opposite way this time. I said, okay, remember, he was very calm. And, and you should expect for him to be a little bit more laid back. And just remember, it's going to be a very, like, just even kill pace conversation. And then I went in. And, man, it was the opposite of that. He was, like, bombastic. There was a time where he was literally banging his hands on the table. He was, like, raising his voice. He was getting into the microphone. And I was like, what is going on? And it, like, kind of took me off guard. I was like, what happened? happened there? And then I thought about it. And you know what I realized? Something powerful. The first interview where he was meek and calm and quiet and measured, that interview was about his story. And all of the questions that I was asking him were about himself. And so in speaking about himself, he was very meek, calm, measured, and I would use the word humble. But then the second conversation, what was the second conversation about? Well, it was about why and how to run a debt-free business. (laughs) It's not about him at all. And so he was outrageously confident and bold and aggressive. And here's the word. He was assertive. And why was he assertive? Why was he able to be assertive in the second one more than he was in the first one? Well, because he was talking about a principle, he wasn't talking about himself. 
Because when you talk with aggressive assertiveness about yourself, you're what's known as arrogant at best and narcissistic at worst. And you've seen examples of this where people get on camera and they're just like, I've done this and then I did this and then I did this and then I can't stop doing this. And I'm right. And they just paint this picture and you're just like, dude, you're a jerk. I don't like you. But man, when someone does that with a principle, like running a debt-free business or being a leader instead of a boss or practicing healthy growth, or you can name any one of these and you can think of any examples of really, really exceptional teachers. Pastors are great examples of this. They're talking about principles. They're not talking about themselves. And when they're talking about principles, we are way more receptive to their assertiveness because they're not talking in a brash and arrogant way about themselves. They're talking about a principle and the principle is true. And they're so passionate about the principle that they're willing to assert it in a way that's authoritative so that you get it. And so what I will tell you is that if you want to make healthy assertions, well, don't make healthy assertions about yourself. Make them about a principle. And it can certainly be a principle that you've learned from your own experience. In fact, I would advise that. But it's way, way, way easier for me to talk assertively about the fact that healthy assertions are rare than it is for me to talk assertively about my personal story. And it's also way more effective, it's way healthier for me, and it's way more humble. And so I want you to be able to do the same thing. And so if you're going to do that same thing, you're going to need to become practiced and effective at discerning the overarching principles behind people's problems. Because when you can get to the core of what's the principle that's at play here, well, then you unlock the ability to be outrageously assertive. So let's review. We said that there is a version of assertiveness that can be healthy, helpful, and productive. And then there's a version of assertiveness that can be unhealthy, unhelpful, and destructive. And we said that we can't necessarily give you a checklist on when's the right time to be curious and ask a question versus when's the right time to be assertive and make a statement. But what we said we could do is we could equip you with some principles for being a person of discernment and wisdom. And so what I would challenge you as a person who is applying themselves to growing in the arena of wisdom is to look out for these principles. Healthy assertions are rare, so you don't want to use them too much. And you need to keep your eyes open for, am I using them too much or am I doing it right? And is this the proper time to plant an assertion? And then healthy assertions are trustworthy because people don't trust what's nice. People trust what's true. And so healthy assertions are always rooted in what's true and it's truth served in the other person's best interest. And if you're going to coach someone, you need to be serving them truth in their best interest. So healthy assertions are rare. Healthy assertions are trustworthy. And then healthy assertions are humble. So we said humility is to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. So what is a humble assertion? Well, a humble assertion is to give an accurate viewpoint of oneself. And we're not going to paint an image that isn't actually true because that's not humble. And then finally, healthy assertions are principle-based. If you want to make someone's day better, solve their problem. If you want to make someone's life better, help them learn a principle and become practiced at learning and discerning what principles are at play in any given situation because those are things that you can talk about in a manner that is both healthy and outrageously confident, bold, and assertive. 
Y'all, I hope this was helpful today. Real quick, we've got an email that goes out every Wednesday uh, and we call it Worth It Wednesday because I believe most email isn't worth it. Uh, So we try to create at least one a week that is. And so we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. Spoiler alert, one of the principles that we talked about in this episode, people don't trust what's nice, people trust what's true, is one of the ones that's coming up in a Worth It Wednesday near you. So if you want to get on that email list, there's hundreds of you on it now, which is just so cool. It's a growing community. Um, The link to that is in the show notes of this episode. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.